I feel very strongly that inclusion and prioritizing a culture of inclusion before you start going for those diversity hires is really important because you can bring these people in, you know, you can take your one BIPOC individual and plaster them all over your social media. But at the end of the day, if they are not going to succeed, if they're not going to feel valued, if they're not going to, you know, feel safe in your environment, then they're not going to stay. Welcome to The Burnt Chef Journal, a podcast dedicated to challenging mental health stigma within worldwide hospitality, as well as inspiring people to make changes within their lives, their businesses, and with their leadership skills. This week's guest joins us from Canada. Gillian is a business consultant working specifically with hospitality businesses, focused on improving diversity, inclusion, and equality within the workplaces. It's a great opportunity to talk to Gillian and understand more about the importance of diversity, equality, and inclusion, which is a subject matter that's definitely growing, and rightly so over here in the UK and over in the Canada. We touch upon many different aspects of this, including some tips in terms of how business owners and leaders can start to build a, an equal and diverse workforce focused on psychological safety. It's a fantastic conversation. There's a lot to be learned from this, and I certainly learned a lot as well. And thank you to Gillian for her time. And let's crack on with this week's episode. This week, I am joined by Gillian, who runs a business in Canada called Inclusion by Libra. And uh, Inclusion by Libra is a woman-owned consulting firm uh, offering tailored diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging services to organizations across Canada, but potentially stretching across the pond to us as well. So Gillian, <laughs> good, mo- good morning or good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. No, totally welcome. Thanks for joining me. Uh, what time is it over in Canada at the moment? It is 9.05 a.m. 9.05. Okay. And it's a, it's a brisk brisk four o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday with 100 miles per hour winds over here. Is, uh, <laughs> we face storm. I think it's storm Eugene, I think, at oh. this moment in time. So, uh, yeah. What's it like over in Canada? Because I saw a news report fairly recently and it was thick in snow. It's cold over there, hey? Yeah, we've it's snowing this morning in Calgary. We got about minus 10 Celsius. What? <laughs> it's not actually that bad. We've had some really cold stretches this winter, like minus 30, minus 40 with wind chill. Yeah, it's been it's been tough in terms of weather and also politics over there. I see that there's uh, <laughs> border, border closures and all sorts going on at this moment in time. You know, there's, there's a lot of un- unrest to do with COVID over there, hey? Yeah, it's like the most dramatic Canada's ever been. It's weird. Yeah. Not something that you would attribute to Canada as well. Usually when I think of Canada, I think of like, you know, quite placid, chilled out vibes, not necessarily. <laughs> We're not <laughs> used to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just goes to show how, you know, how far people are willing to go when they're pushed. Um, especially, I know that previously we were, we were chatting and the impacts of COVID have obviously been quite profound, especially within hospitality over in Canada with mm-hmm. many hospitality businesses still having quite strict uh, restrictions. And I was just wondering if you could sort of enlighten our our listeners who aren't in Canada more about what's going on currently with regards to hospitality. 
Yeah, so I'm in uh, Alberta, and the restrictions do vary from province to province, although they tend to, you know, kind of follow each other a bit. But over here, the only restrictions right now that remain in place are really targeting hospitality. So you cannot uh, serve alcohol past 11 p.m., and everybody has to be out by 12. You cannot have more than 10 people at a table, and we call it that we're in a footloose state because you can't dance. You can't be up from your table. You can't be socializing with people that are not within your group. And what's really interesting is we had the vaccine passports for the longest time and they just recently pulled that. So now you can come out and be out if you're not vaccinated, but you still can't drink past 11. So especially for the bars, the local bars, it's really, really impacting their ability to generate revenue. Yeah, it must be, it must be really, really tough out there. I was chatting to um, Brandon, one of our ambassadors, who mm-hmm. who was saying that it's impacting and workforce because people are now starting to look for other other careers and other industries for reliance upon you know income, really, aren't they? It's It, it must be incredibly difficult. Totally. I mean, hospitality's always had like a level of unpredictability in terms of income because, you know, especially if you're in the service side, you're often called off if it's not busy or you're cut if it's not busy and it can be really hard to predict how much you're going to make. But after two years of restaurants being open, closed, takeout only, you know, limited capacity, limited hours, it's like, people are really finding they can't rely on this industry to support themselves anymore. And they're leaving, which is really sad. Mm. And so what about yourself, Gillian? Have you come from a hospitality background yourself? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I have a business degree, but I've worked in hospitality for a lot of my life. So I've spent lots of time in restaurants, normally on the front of house side. I did have a brief uh, time in a kitchen which was fun too, but uh, lots of serving and a little bit of bartending. Amazing. And so is that your primary sort of background, your primary profession, or have you have you worked in other sectors as well? No, it's not. It's kind of been like for, it is for a lot of people where it's the thing that gets you through. I worked in hospitality through a lot of my university career. And then I had corporate jobs for a number of years. I did a lot of uh, corporate account management, working with B2B businesses, uh, managing travel programs, actually, and then uh, some procurement experience. But since I became an entrepreneur, I've returned to the hospitality industry to kind of supplement my uh, income as I make a go of my own business. Amazing. And it's a nice mm-hmm. little segment, actually. I mean, for, for anyone who's perhaps not not familiar with with your business and exactly what you do and mm-hmm. and my my introduction it was very very skimming across the surface of it could you, ex- <laughs> could you explain more a little bit about you know libra and exactly the work you do and the reason why you do do that work as well mm-hmm. yeah so libra consulting um is my company and i it's really me and six now consultants who support me in the work that i'm doing but we exist with the goal of supporting small to medium-sized businesses, ideally, and specifically the hospitality sector in integrating diversity, equity, and inclusion into their people policies and practices. 
So I don't know about in the UK, but it's a hot topic over here right now. And it's something that we're very early in, in terms of actually understanding how to make meaningful change. Um, so we kind of focus on smaller businesses because I feel really strongly that you have more of an opportunity to make an impact when you're not trying to, you know, fully dismantle structures that have been in place for a long time. But I also have noticed because I was actually working in hospitality at the time that I started my business, a huge opportunity for hospitality employers to show up for their people in a different way and in doing so impact their ability to attract and retain really high quality staff that are going to deliver that fantastic customer service that can make or break a hospitality experience. Yeah. And it's something that's really apparent over, you know, over the last couple of years, certainly as a result of COVID, mm-hmm. you know, the amount of conversations that we're having at this moment in time about recruitment and retention. And there has been this, this snap into reality and to focus and realizing that actually people and personnel are a scarce resource now, you know, especially with mm-hmm. people leaving the industry and choosing alternative careers. Mm-hmm. And so we need to do everything that we can do. But explain to me exactly why sort of diversity and inclusion is, is so important within hospitality and why hospitality specifically? Um, so first of all, it is totally the difficulty that this industry is having retaining, attracting and retaining staff. But also I think that this industry has some unique issues in terms of in North America, we see more reports of sexual harassment in hospitality than in any other industry. And I think that at its core, diversity and inclusion work is really about making your people feel valued, making your people feel safe, and making them feel empowered to bring their best selves to the table. And so when you have an industry that, first of all, cannot be super reliable in terms of your ability to make your income, but then you mix in all the factors that make it a really rife environment for sexual harassment and assault, it can be super damaging, I think, to employee well-being and to employee mental health over a long term um, if you want people to stick around. And so what I've seen, and we've had a few, actually, you've had some over there too, like really outcries specifically from the craft beer industry saying like, this, what's happening within this industry is not okay. And they've been really calling for things like having third-party handling of sensitive workplace complaints and, you know, empowering employees to remove themselves from challenging situations and different things that are going to, yeah, make, make any individual more likely to stick around in that industry if they feel that their employer can provide that. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely something that we've seen uh, both, you know, through conversations that we've had and also through through news as well because it's been mm-hmm. quite widely reported now on the inequality of of workplace environments and how we're treating people but you know why in in your opinion do you think that that is why specifically within hospitality and and what can we do to start actually looking at how we address that yeah so i think first of all within hospitality there's always been 
males that dominate the management, but females that really dominate the front of house service. Um, and customer service has a, like always had a big looks aspect to it. Like getting a job in hospitality can like you're judged so harshly on what you look like and also like potentially put in this tiny little uniform and asked to walk around in heels for the next 10 hours. And like, there's some very superficial aspects that go into, especially the front of house team. And then like those, that appearance focus is used as, as a means of customer service. And so, you know, even though your job might be to serve or to bartend, you're, you're really being kind of objectified for the customers and the customers feel that they might be justified in treating you with a lower level of respect than they might treat somebody else that they've just met in the street or know through a different environment. Um, I also think the fact that so much of hospitality is taking place in alcohol-fueled environments and over here, at least, we're so, like the tip culture is everything. When you work in hospitality, your hourly wage is nothing. You are relying on your tips to pay your rent. And so that puts you in a weird position where when somebody is potentially disrespecting you or harassing you and they're a customer, you're you're not going to stand up for yourself the way that you might in another situation because if they don't tip you, like in a lot of situations where we have tip out here where you give some of your tips to the kitchen and the bar and everybody else, you're potentially paying to be harassed by that person at the end of the day. So it creates this super weird power dynamic that I think just invites a lot of situations that you might not see in other industries. Mm, that's quite interesting, yeah. Especially when it comes down to to finances as well. And you you that that level of conflict, that internal conflict, mm-hmm. not to mention conflict between members of your team that you're having to regulate from an emotional intelligence standpoint of view, but then also having to deal with it from a customer perspective totally. and knowing knowing that it could impact you. I mean, have you got any specific stats or have you, so with the work that you're doing with businesses, is there a particular demographic that's experiencing this? Is it predominantly women that, that find that sexual harassment within the workplace from, from a customer point of view is, is high? Or are you finding, you know, that there's, I mean, obviously it's not going to be 50-50 split, but you finding that men also experience this as well? Yeah, they totally do. So we... Um have a stat and I'd, I can send you the source after, but it says that within North America, 90% of women and 70% of men have reported experiencing sexual harassment within the hospitality industry. And what's I think really important to note there is that so many situations don't get reported. Um, so to have like that high of numbers from a reporting perspective means that it's probably 100% and 100% realistically on either side because people are very much not empowered to bring this kind of information forward and have anything necessarily done about it. And so that's another big reason why we have created some of the services that we have now at Libra is to is to create that channel for them. Yeah, it must be difficult. I mean, how much of it is down to just the rapidly changing environment that hospitality is like 
we find personally through the work that we do, there's a, there's a huge skill gap shortage with regards to uh, resilience levels with regards to management skill sets with regards to just knowledge base of exactly how to identify and how to to tackle these i mean what are you finding are the main sort of barriers why by these situations aren't being appropriately dealt with so in my opinion the biggest reason is not having a fair process to have them investigated and handled um and potentially not being able to provide the resources to support someone who's been through something either. So many members of hospitality, you know, they don't have necessarily have benefits associated with their role. They don't have paid time off. And so if something traumatizing potentially does happen to them, there's not a lot of support. Um, but also it's about how... Okay, so customers aside, say something happens internally with another member of the team, whether it's a coworker or your superior, and I've seen these situations unfold, uh, you bring it forward and there's just a massive conflict of interest in terms of how to deal with it. First of all, they don't have the, the resources to do a meaningful investigation, but there's an inherent, you know, A, like say it gets reported to a, a lower level manager, but the complaint is about a higher level manager. What is, what are, what are they supposed to do with that information? How are they supposed to proceed with that information? You know, or even it's just about someone internally, maybe they try to talk to people. They're really awkward. They don't have the tools to have that conversation effectively. And they're like, okay, like, let's get back to work, everybody, you know, and meanwhile, like someone's potentially being re-traumatized every day by having to be in the same room as somebody who's, you know, done something messed up. So I think that that reporting process and the conflict of interest that comes up in it is something that's a, a real issue. Mm. And what can, be, what can businesses you know, there's no one size fits all, but what can businesses start to do in order to be able to negotiate these these muddy waters and, and yeah, unfamiliar waters? Uh, well, cue the sales pitch because this is where <laughs> this is where we come in. But what we've done is really design something pretty uh, targeted at this industry. And so what we've been helping companies do over here is we write policy. That is a combination of safe and respectful workplace, which covers all the human rights obligations in terms of anti-harassment, discrimination, workplace violence, and then also makes commitments to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we feel like those two need to go hand in hand because you cannot create an inclusive environment if your staff do not first feel safe. That is an absolute you know, the lowest bar possible to creating an inclusive environment. And so within those policies, one thing that employers are obligated to do under every single human rights act or code out there is have a fair process for reporting and handling complaints. You have to be able to demonstrate this is where you go if something happens. This is how we deal with it. And this is our commitments in terms of resolution. And it's interesting because many employers don't even understand that that's something that 
they are obligated to do. And if a complaint came up and that wasn't in place, they could end up in front of a human rights tribunal, um, which I don't think anybody wants to happen. Mm -hmm. And so we build out those processes for them. And we, we actually have a third party complaint handling service, which we build into those policies. So we, when a very formal, serious complaint comes up, the employee actually comes directly to Libra first. We intake it. We launch a full investigation. We talk to everybody who's involved. Um, we have some consultants with considerable workplace investigations experience. And then we kind of guide the employer through the resolution process. So it's very case specific, obviously, but we, you know, sometimes it's sitting down and, and facilitating a conversation with the people involved. Sometimes it's recommending that somebody gets terminated. Sometimes it's recommending that somebody gets time off and, and some support, but we help them reach resolution. And then we also produce a report with all of the details of the incident, because here in Canada, at least as an employer, you have to have that on file for a minimum of two years. So we kind of take the whole process and not only do we remove the barriers to coming forward that employees face, we remove the inherent legal risk that comes with the conflict of interest of an organization dealing with this really poorly. And it's kind of like an insurance policy where you never want to use it, but by having it available, you're making a big statement to your team and to potentially the public. A lot of our clients have posted this publicly too, that we don't have anything to hide. We're going to, you know, be fair. We're going to stand by our people. We're going to investigate anything that people bring up. And, and I think that says a lot to your future and current employees. Yeah, that'd be amazing. I mean, I, I think for, you know, for employees, it provides that psychological safety and that that mm -hmm. transparency and that open air of communication. But I guess for some, some employees that they do you find that there's a certain level of reticence of, of reluctance to to go that whole hog because they just don't know whether or not, you know, if they if they lose that not to say that there there is control because with all of these things they need to be impartial, right? Mm -hmm. But signing it over to a, a third party who is fully impartial and putting it in complete control of a third party, do you find that employers are slightly um, you know, reticent for, to, to take that step or are they are quite accommodating with that? I think it, it very much depends on the organization and the culture of the organization. In general, it's, I think employers are recognizing that it's something that's necessary. You know, I think... There's certainly a culture, as I'm sure you've seen with the Me Too movement, there's the counter movement of men who are afraid of being falsely accused. So I feel like sometimes that is the, you know, resistance that we come up against in this. But from that perspective, I think that having that neutral and impartial third party is even more important because we will not we don't have those inherent biases about your organization to be like, oh, yeah, that guy, like, I can see him doing that, you know, like, we don't have those built in assumptions that your team who works with these people every day, potentially already does. And so we can really, I think it's in the best interest of both 
the person who's submitting the complaint, but also the person who is being complained about. Um, if I was them, I would feel better about having that neutral and experienced third party who's more likely to see the facts of the situation um, than potentially people who already have ideas in their head about me. Uh, but yeah, I think that there's a little bit of fear for sure. I I love the sound of it. And the reason I think so is that there is so much going on at this moment in time. There's such a radical shift, mm-hmm. like a shift that, you know, I've been talking about this shift for three or four years now, about the shift in hospitality that we haven't seen since, you know, since really the Escoffier system came into the back of house, you know, the military-based system. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing this radical shift, which has been exacerbated and sped up by COVID. Yeah. And as a result of that, there's this, there's this, underlying current of, of as you say this me too movement of these people who you know rightly so want to have their voices heard and want to be able to call out certain behaviors that they feel incorrect and and in some cases are incorrect mm-hmm. but then also that's on as you say on the other side of the coin you've got people whose behaviors they don't necessarily are they're not doing it through ill intent they're doing it through because and this terminology that we use over here, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if it's the same in Canada, but that's just the way it's always been. That's the way that we've done it. What what am I doing yeah. wrong? Yeah. Um, and it must be really, really difficult for those who, you know, unintentionally are causing uh, discomfort to, to team members or to, to their peers to have to get their head around. Yeah. Actually, it's a different industry now. It's a different different way of thinking. Yeah, and that's another huge part of our offering in hospitality is is that education opportunities for awareness building, specifically at the management level, because I think in hospitality, it's so common that, you know, you work as a server or bartender in the kitchen and you get promoted, but you don't necessarily always get the training that you need to go along with your new position. And especially with men, the understanding and self-awareness of the power dynamics and what that means for how they're interacting with people who have historically been their friends, who've historically been the people they have a drink with after work, who, you know, like there's this super informal relationship often within this industry and your team members. And then all of a sudden a different set of rules apply to you and they, and they do. It's, it's just what it is. And they're not necessarily prepared to navigate that. So, you know, I think employers can really support the people they're promoting by giving them a a bigger opportunity to build awareness on some of this stuff. Um, But I also wanted to say that as we're seeing with all these movements, in a lot of cases right now, the alternative to having a good process that makes somebody feel seen and heard when they're submitting a complaint is that they're going on the internet and writing about it. And you have no control over that narrative. And, you know, whether or not what they say is true, there's no investigation, there's no judge or jury. And now there's information about your business that's online potentially forever. Uh, So I think that's an important consideration too like you're not by by avoiding having these complaints formally handled you're not necessarily squashing it and so that's something that I've 
I've seen happen here and be really damaging to reputations of people within the industry in a way that's not always fair, but it, it just is. Well, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But at the end of the day, the court of public opinion has very little information and you can tell them whatever you want. And so I think as a business owner, having that dealt with internally in a way that doesn't make my employees feel so discarded that they need to run to the internet um, just seems like a, a better option to me. Yeah, it is. It, it is. It's tackling it head on, isn't it? It's addressing mm-hmm. the elephant in the room and saying it's important to you. So it's important to us. And we want to make sure that as a, as it is such an important topic matter, um, whether it is about sort of sexual harassment, whether it's about communication, bullying, you know, mm-hmm. anything to do with diversity or inclusion. But it's a mm-hmm. case of going, OK, we own this and we're going to yeah. deal with this in the correct way. And it is a it's a part of it's it's part of the pie that does lead to an improvement in retention and it's such a such a vital one that often we overlook because we do you know we work at it from a stress and from a mental health perspective and then you've got the salary perspective and then you've got Mm -hmm. the work-life balance and then you've got a diversity and inclusion and the policies and everything and it's no wonder that certain you know businesses are going where the hell do we begin with this like Mm -hmm it's easy just to carry on and, but, you know, hopefully that nothing will happen than it is to actually go, right, let's, let's change this and let's Mm -hmm. start bit by bit nipping and tucking away at this. Yeah. And that's really why we've been focusing on the smaller organizations, because I think the large ones tend to have more resources. Maybe they have people that are focused on this, these issues specifically within their HR teams, but in smaller restaurants, independently owned restaurants, you know, we've been doing some work in craft brewing and different things where it's very much a startup mode. Like, let's go, let's make this happen. Let's make some money. And, and then all of a sudden something pops up. We, we want to give them, you know, the guidance and the resources that they would have if they potentially had internal resources to be able to do it right. And then, create that foundation for success as they move forward into a world where this is just becoming increasingly important and, and focused on. Hmm. And what sort of feedback have you had both from a, from a client perspective, from a business owner perspective, and also from a team member's perspective of from a business who have implemented this and just, just nailed it. What, what sort of feedback and results have you seen from that? Yeah, so we actually just started adding some testimonials to our website and we got one back that uh, was really neat because it was all about how they felt very heard and seen by us. But the policy that we created, they haven't had any complaints come up yet, but it's really helped them guide some decision makings in terms of dealing with certain types of people that have been in the restaurant and treating people badly or making decisions about partnerships that they may or may not do. And it really helped them clarify kind of those those standards of behavior that they want to have as an organization and how to deal with them. Um, interestingly enough, they, as part of our implementation, they put up some signs in their tap room that basically said, like, no, we don't, there's no bullying, there's no misogyny, there's no, you know, racist comments, there's no 
setting a pretty firm boundary around that, which like you would expect is kind of common sense, but believe it or not, it's not. And so they got this negative review shortly after saying like, this is a woke beer company. And then like 25 other people responded to that with five-star reviews being like, we love that, that this company cares about its people, you know? So it's, it was quite fascinating to see like for one, for one negative opinion, there was 25 positive opinions. And that was also the case with another company we worked with when they made the announcement of the work that we had done and they posted their policy publicly. Um, their customers, we had like something like 99, 100 comments on the Instagram post of their customers being like, this is why we support you. This is why we love you. This is why like you're a leader in the industry, like keep going. Thank you. And like, really what we did was a pretty entry level piece of work, but it was, you know, a relatively small organization that was making a public commitment to treating people better and and, you know, consumers are very increasingly values focused, I think. So it was neat to see that. It's interesting to hear that, actually, because for a long time now, for two years, I've been thinking about an accreditation piece that specifically focuses on the acknowledgement of structurally sound businesses focused on the health and well-being of their teams and that includes diversity and inclusion and that includes mm-hmm. mental health and well-being and the right right level of work-life balance and pay and training and everything else mm-hmm. um, and I know that the B Corp is obviously a worldwide international you know set up with regards to part of that but then sustainability and, and, and other bits as well but I think the more and more that we develop and certainly from the millennials and Gen Z's population, people are voting very much with a philanthropic view, with a view that actually they want to support businesses who do support the environment, who do look after their teams and well-being. And we're starting to see that in terms of money transfer now as well, and where people are totally. actually spending yeah. spending their money. And these are from people who may not have ever worked in hospitality and who don't, who don't even necessarily understand how it how it's previously operated but it still matters to them yeah yeah i i think that's super accurate over here too the the voting with your dollars is really as consumers the most powerful way we can use our voices yeah um i also want to flag an interesting one of our new partner organizations which is operating in the uk as well is a site called inside voices and the, that is basically like a glass door employer review situation, but specifically um, for people of color to review and provide experiences about how supportive an organization was of them specifically, and really to help fellow job seekers avoid the situation of entering an organization that is not prepared to have create an inclusive environment. And so it's like that uh, it's actually founded in New York, but it's like already getting reviews globally and the nature of the internet and the technology age that we live in is people have 
a voice in a way that we never, ever have before. And so, you know, simply from a business perspective, a reputation perspective, how, how the world sees you, even if you don't think it's the right thing, which then we have some other things to talk about, but, you know, for the business owners that are listening to this, there's so many reasons to give this kind of information the time of day. It's an interesting point that you raise. I'm perhaps a little bit naive, you know, being a, a white male in the UK, I don't necessarily experience any degree of, of racism from that respect. And so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm incredibly naive, naive to it. And I personally you know i don't think i've ever really experienced it from a third party perspective either or seen it but mm -hmm. i'm hearing more and more that it's still very much the case especially with you know um is it bipoc bipoc yeah 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 um and so i just is it still quite heavily apparent within the workplace environment that there is this disjointed you know equality when it comes down mm -hmm. to different sort of race race color creed and and or even things like sexual orientation as well comes into that, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's pretty natural for, you know, us as both Caucasian individuals to live in a bit of a silo in terms of this stuff. Um, but I think in Canada, for sure, there's so much inherent prejudice that we have. And uh, I mean, we, because we all have it. It It's a human condition that is a result of how we've grown up and where we've been and the information that we have taken in about the people that are around us. There are zero human beings on planet earth that do not have prejudice of some level within them. Um, so that's like an important, I think, distinction to make because people are like, oh no, I'm not mean like that. And it's like, it's not about being mean or being a bad person. It's about being a person and, you know, creating, uh, I guess, a view of the world throughout the course of your life that impacts how you make decisions and how you interact with people. But I think still, at least here, we still see a huge lack of diversity in our corporate world specifically, and especially at the leadership level. So while companies might be willing to bring in, you know, more and more diverse hires at a lower level, it's one thing to be like, oh, here, like, congrats, you're an admin assistant. It's another thing to be like, hey, you're sitting beside me on the board. You're in management. You're in leadership. You're being given the tools to succeed at the same rate as your Caucasian colleagues. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of layers to that. But I think with so many companies starting to put on performative, yeah, we care about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Look at us. Look at what we've done. Look at, we gave some money here or whatever. It's one thing to say that, and it's a completely different thing to actually produce that experience internally for your team. And so that's why I think sites like Inside Voices are popping up to, to help, you know, us as job seekers communicate with each other about what's really happening on the inside of that organization. Yeah. And it's a subject that uh, I was discussing yesterday about, you know, unconscious bias effectively, isn't it? It's, mm -hmm. and, and it's so prominent. It can be something as, you know, as 
you say it obviously, like, for example, uh, a, a woman who has had mm-hmm. a child and who perhaps, you know, has, you know, signs of PTSD or, or signs of trauma as a result of the childbirth and unconscious bias kicks in and you go, oh, you know, you'll be all right. You can, you can, you can keep going. But it's mm-hmm. about acknowledging that everyone is different and providing the same level of opportunity and adjustments for people that don't have that, you know, Mm-hmm. to provide them with that level of opportunity um i mean are there any for any business owners or for any leaders out there who are looking at improving their their framework or improving their ability to create uh, a, a a better working environment in terms of equality are there any sort of tips that you have for, for someone who doesn't really know where to start with this i think honestly especially hospitality specific is get some education for your management team first and foremost, because, you know, they, they're potentially not even equipped to really see what's going on from the right lens at this point. And, you know, your management team is the ones who are really responsible for the human experience of your employees on a day-to-day basis. There can be tons of turnover in the part-time staff, the front of house staff, people work one day a week, whatever. So in hospitality, training your whole team often isn't possible, but getting your management, you know, aware of unconscious bias and understanding we have like an inclusive leadership workshop that helps like, okay, here are some considerations for things you can and can't say for inclusive language and (laughs) how you create the environment of psychological safety and different things like that. Um, You know, get an understanding of what are the actual demographics that you're serving. Like we have some workshops that focus on building awareness and inclusion specifically for the LGBTQ plus community or specifically for the community of people with physical disabilities and different things like that. So you know, depending on where you're located, you might have a certain demographic that you're serving or that you're employing, and there might be ways you can show up for them in a more meaningful way. So I honestly think the first step is very much that education. Um, We often, too, run some surveys to get a sense of the employee sentiment, what's missing, what do they need. Um, But yeah, I think if you don't even know what you're looking at yet uh that's probably the the place to start that's a great tip thank you for that it's um we talk about uh, over here in the uk obviously we've got a, an equality equality act with regards to hiring and we often mm-hmm. talk from a mental health perspective of is it correct to be able to ask someone about their mental health at the point of interview and mm-hmm. often enough we get scratched heads and then we go yeah, because, you know, it's important for us to be able to to help them. And other people are going, well, no, because that shouldn't have a bearing on the position. And it's very interesting mm-hmm. to see that there's this discrepancy of understanding exactly, you know, what is the right and what is the wrong process and the thing to say in those instances. But when we try and put it into context that you understand, it's like, if you're interviewing someone, do you ask about the sexual orientation? You know, do you ask them what gender they are in order to be able to to interview them? No, you don't. So why should it no. matter about physical, mental, race? What what why should it matter about any of those things? Ultimately, what you've mm-hmm. got in front of you is a human being, mm-hmm. and you need to decide whether or not they are 
they're right for the role itself irrespective of anything like that you know and totally i think that that's almost the gold standard isn't it that you could walk into a business and it doesn't matter if you're you know your server has obvious physical disabilities or or, or unseen mental health issues it, it shouldn't matter and i think the sooner that we can start to get our heads around the fact that actually we can make our workplaces more diverse all of a sudden the recruitment pool opens up massively because you're not then limiting yourself to to a certain demographic or a certain preconceived idea of what you would expect a hospitality worker to 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 look feel and act like absolutely um i there's two things I want to respond with that. One is that we've recently did a post. So we have a consultant who's a disability inclusion consultant specifically, and he was actually born without arms and legs. And he is a motivational speaker who like travels around the world talking to people. But I spent some time with him and he gave me a bunch of points about why employers should hire people with physical disabilities. And it was all about the fact that they are literally constantly working like three to four times as hard as us to navigate a world that was not built for them. You know, it takes so much more planning, so much more strategy, so much more willingness to adapt to unknown situations, uh, to, to just exist, to do the basic, you know, tasks involved in existing for him. He's been stuck in elevators for hours because he can't reach the button. You know, he's been hit by multiple vehicles because people don't see him when he's crossing the street. And like, there's so many things that make him astronomically more resilient, more strategic, you know, more creative than the average person. But employers don't see it that way. So I think it's really interesting to kind of flip that perspective and be like, hey, like, this isn't a disadvantage. Like, could you do this? Could you exist in the world like this? Like, we got to celebrate this stuff. Yeah. Um, but my other thing that I was going to say is that, like, the recruitment process and uh, attracting a more diverse pool of candidates, but then also addressing your selection processes to remove bias from them as much as possible is, is a big part of our offering as well because uh, we need to be more aware of why we're making the decisions that we're making and and focus on getting the person with the expertise and the competencies that we need into the role, not on, you know, those more superficial things that aren't going to make a difference as to whether or not they can do the job. So to play devil's advocate, and this is the reason why I'm saying this is because it's a question that we have been asked. Mm-hmm. An employer or a leadership team understand that they don't have a diversity uh, policy. They don't have a diverse workforce within. How do you go about creating a diverse workforce without like physically printing an advert that says, if you have a physical disability or if you are from a, a sort of a, a black ethnic background, then mm-hmm. get in touch because we want you. How Like, one is that acceptable two if not how do you go about doing that because i think that there's this reticence from from businesses to be able to go or does it seem too crass that you know Mm -hmm. how do we go about accessing a more diverse workforce if but naturally 
yeah. people people from those backgrounds potentially aren't coming to walking in our door for jobs in the first place. Okay, so first of all, I think before you start thinking about recruiting more diverse people, you need to make sure your house is in order. I feel very strongly that inclusion and prioritizing a culture of inclusion before you start going for those diversity hires is really important because you can bring these people in, you know, you can take your one BIPOC individual and plaster them all over your social media. But at the end of the day, if they are not going to succeed, if they're not going to feel valued, if they're not going to, you know, feel safe in your environment, then they're not going to stay. So I think like, first of all, doing some of the work to put those policies in place, give your management a degree of education, you know, make sure, get an understanding of how your current staff feel and, and make those moves to create that inclusive environment. And then look at expanding your hiring pool, not necessarily to say, hi, we want to hire specifically a person of this color, but like what one thing that we've done is help our customers post on different job boards. So we you know, have done a bunch of research about job boards that are focused on Indigenous and job boards that are focused on Black professionals and that are focused on members of the LGBTQ community. And so it's like getting out there in a different way, not just hiring your friends, friends, <laughs> you know, um, really like be getting proactive about advertising to a wider pool of candidates. And then like, we put things, we make sure like job postings are not like the language isn't gendered and we put things in to say like, we want to be an equal opportunity employee, we employer. And, and so, yeah, I think we want to avoid tokenizing and just get, and just getting diverse people so that we can say we have diverse people. You know, I think if you, if you do the work to create an inclusive environment and, and start to get a little intentional about it, then it's going to come naturally. Yeah. And it, it's, uh, thank you for answering that for me, because the reason I specifically asked from a, from a personal perspective is, you know, we, we were challenged uh, a little while ago now about why with the portraits we've taken, we didn't have people from, from various ethnicities in mm. our photos. Mm. And that's not an unconscious bias. That's not even a conscious bias. That's not me saying, well, actually, we should only photograph a certain gender or a certain um, ethnicity. It's mm -hmm. just the availability of whoever is in the environment at that particular time. And it's a real struggle because I want to be more inclusive mm -hmm. and I want, I want inclusivity for not just race or sexual orientation, but for all manner of physical and, and mental health challenges um, within the workplace environment. But I can, we can only work with what we have in terms of what we've got currently. So it's really interesting to understand that actually once people could start to change their language put the right structures in place that will ultimately then lead to them being seen as a, a more diverse and a more equal employer which will then actually start to increase that level of diversity and inequality or challenge the inequality within the workplace mm -hmm. yeah and, and i mean i think people are quick to make those kinds of critiques and and I, I don't disagree that like being more conscious of, you know, photographing a wider range of people, like, sure, that's a great thing to like have in your mind. Um, but the reality is 
at this moment, our workplaces are not especially diverse, at least in Canada, you know? So yeah, we have work to do. And, uh, and that I think says a lot in and of itself. Jillian, I've absolutely loved this conversation. Um, for, for a start is filling in some, you know, some quite evident gaps in my knowledge as well. And, you know, hopefully our listeners who are listening to this as well have had their eyes open and perhaps got some tips to to take away with them for this particular subject matter. But I mean, was there anything else particularly that you wanted to share with either recent experience or studies that you've done that may benefit the audience that are listening to this now? Mm, I feel like I've I feel like I've hit most of my you know, soapbox points that I really wanted to address today. Um, I would absolutely just invite the audience to engage in conversation with both of us about these topics. And I know you have a relatively international audience and and I'm speaking specifically from a Canadian perspective and, and things are definitely different on every continent. So I'm very open to hearing um, and chatting and and I invite people to check out our website at www.inclusionbylibra.com. Wonderful. And we will put that in the show notes as well for people. Amazing. And hopefully we'll be releasing a blog on our website with uh, with your help fairly shortly. Um, yeah. I've got a draft underway right now. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I. Do you know what? I've always been funny about blogs. I've always like, oh, yeah, people just produce blogs. But actually, when a thought pops into your head and you're in full flow, mm. it's amazing, actually, the 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 responses that you can get. Um, I've just written one on energy drinks within the okay. workplace. Uh-huh. Yeah. It just suddenly popped into my head. I was like, I'm really fed up with the impact that Red Bull and Monster's having within the workplace environment. Interesting. And so, I wrote two sentences for a social media post and that's turned into three, a four pages of, uh, of content about, you know, the, the stress, uh, stress response within the body, you know, craving sugar, craving yeah. caffeine, you know, fight or flight response. But actually that's no, there's no place for that in the modern world. And yeah. rather than blaming the energy drink, start looking at our environment and the reason why people are craving this in the first place. Huh. And so, I'm all up for blogs. I find them great resources and great learning uh, learning opportunities. So, yeah, very look forward to that. Is that up on your blog now? I want to check it out. <laughs> no, I literally finished it before um, you came onto the call. Okay. Uh, so at 15.58, I sent it to myself ready to ready to upload. So I'll upload it on LinkedIn. Um, in fact, actually, I'll tell you what I will do is I'll send it across to you now. Cool. Um, so you can have a look at it. Um, yeah, and obviously we, we, you know, we started a conversation with regards to what, what additional things that we can do to benefit, benefit the audience. Um, you know, perhaps a conversation comes a bit later on about using you as a, as a, as a resource, perhaps even listing your services on the website to be able to try and get people mm -hmm. to, to further complement our services and give them access to yours as well. I think it'd be a, a, a great thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I should flag that although I'm based in Canada, I do have a senior consultant who is in the UK. Um, so we do have a knowledge uh, of the, you know, territory a little bit beyond what I have and somebody to potentially be there in person when people need them. I mean, I'm also very willing to travel, but 
uh, I think that's worth flagging because, yeah, we would love to work more across the pond with you. Yeah. Well, we're, the time is now. Let's, you know, the, the, the wave is building, the conversation is developing. And I think now mm-hmm. is the best time to be able to start tackling this. And, you know, businesses are and individuals are open to this more mm-hmm. so than they've ever been in the history of uh, you know, history of this industry. And it's incredible to be able to start to identify those individuals who really want to take this as a mantle and run with it themselves. So, um, yeah, yeah, let's see what we can let's see what we can do, creating a healthy and sustainable industry together. On that note, I would love to see um, more burnt chef stuff in Canada. We need you yes. over here. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much uh, okay. for joining me today. And you know, it's an absolute pleasure to, to have you here. And I hope all our listeners have enjoyed this conversation as well. And I uh, look forward to speaking to you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. You're welcome. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Burnt Chef Journal. If you haven't yet checked out the Burnt Chef Project website, then please head over to www.theburntchefproject.com. You'll find a whole host of resources, free access to our training app, as well as free support services, blog posts, our merchandise store, and also our ambassadors who are there to support you when you need it. Thanks again for joining us this week, and I'll see you again soon.